Hey, it's Canadian Mike with another Canadian fun fact. Did you know that the Bay of Fundy in eastern Canada has the highest tides in the world? The waves there are more than 13 meters or 42 feet high. First, this is the first episode of Potterless in January, meaning that it's donation time here at Potterless. Each month, we take $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless and donate it to a different charity. At the time of recording, we have 793 patrons, meaning that we will be giving $793 to the AYA Youth Collective. So the AYA AYA Youth Collective creates safe spaces and housing for youth in crisis, so they have support for young people ages 14 to 24 that are facing homelessness or instability, they have drop-in opportunities, they have places where they can rest, they have housing where mentors live with them and help them transition to stability, so they are here to help young people connect to the resources, relationships, and housing that they need at any point along their journey. If you want to learn more about what they are doing, you can go to ayayouth.org. And I want to give a shout out to listener Annie who sent in this suggestion. And second, just a refresher that in the past month or so, we've added a bunch of merchandise over at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. We've got the squad sweatshirts. We've got I Took Latin in High School notebooks. We've got digital bundles. And we've got a replay of the live show, the Wizarding World Survivor Show that we did in December. All of that is available for purchase right now at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. And of course, I want to give a huge shout out to our newest Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash Potterless, keeping the show going. So shout out to Mia Iverson, Allison Bradley, Rachel Siridsky, and Kristen Stevens. And as always, a huge shout out to our producer level patrons, Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Martismo, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Mark, Marcos, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, the Meadows family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Janin, Callahan, Leah, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Lior, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Delkis, Katrina, Casey, Megan, Zat, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Dedekins, Alaria, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Jenna, Laura, Hila, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff. Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans People are People, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Joe, Punkfish, Rochelle, Wire Warrior, Catherine, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never forget that they're in Canada, so when they keep Googling conversion rates of dollars to other currencies, they're actually getting conversion rates of Canadian dollars to other currencies, and all the work that they did previously was incorrect. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, I just did a bonus episode where I retook the Sporkle Top 200 quiz, so if you want to hear a bonus episode of me struggling to remember the names of Harry Potter characters for a couple minutes, it's a fun time and that's available. You could also get access to director's commentary and monthly live streams and a whole bunch more. All of that lives at Patreon. But without further ado, let's get into episode 158 of Potterless, a very special interview, a new series that I'm calling Hi, where I interview different people involved in the production of Puffs. And this first interview is with Matt Cox, the writer of Puffs. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and as an adult, he also watched both live 
and digitally a Harry Potter-related play called Puffs, and he enjoyed both experiences. And I'm not just saying that. You can listen to the audio proof. I'm not just saying that because I'm joined today by special guest, the writer of Puffs, Matt Cox. Matt, how's it going? Hi. It's going great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited with how quickly everyone from Puffs responded to my requests for interviews and how excited everyone was to do it, which is not a common place for me. I'm usually used to asking Harry Potter-related people, hi, would you like to be on the show, and then not getting responses. So the fact that everyone was like, yeah, we're down, makes me really happy. It's 2020. It's nice to have something to do. <laughs> and yeah, and also, we, you know, we, we've act, we actively always sought to be uh, to assemble a nice bunch of puffs in, in real life as well. So I think that hopefully contributes to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, from my email interactions with everyone, it seems great. And I have a bunch of interviews scheduled for this week. You are the first. I thought it would be great to start with the man behind the writing of the play itself. And I would just like to get into some questions that I had while watching the show, while looking up some of the history of the show. And one of the things I saw when I was looking things up is that you originally wrote the show and it was performed at the People's Improv Theater here in New York, The Pit, which I have performed at. And that is a very different vibe than what the show has grown to become. So I guess from that original run where it was supposed to be just a five-night run, yeah. right? That became yeah, eight five. months long. With the hope of maybe like a two-week extension was what our, our initial oh. dream was. And so then now here we are five years later t talking about it. Still incredible. So that original version that took place in 2015, how different was that from what people can now see watching it live or on Broadway HD or whatever? Oh, it's it was incredibly different. One, we, we initially did the show for with I think a $5,000 budget, uh, maybe less than that. There was no set. There was very, like, the costumes were whatever we could assemble from our closet, tech-wise and creative-wise. You know, it was very pared-down version of it. And then um, as the show grew along, th those pieces started being added. And as we had, you know, more of the off-Broadway uh, money involved. But uh, also just the content of the show was very different when we first started. Um, so just like the, the brief history of how, that all even came to be. Uh, we had done another show at the pit called Kapawi Go Go, which was like a five hour nerd odyssey that was kind of a send up of like Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z and the Final Fantasy games and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. It was like a three part play. And it had run there like once or twice a month for seven or eight months. Eventually, about halfway through um, that run, we started thinking about what would be next. Um, and actually, Steve Stout, the one of the original producers, and he plays Ernie Mac, he sort of turned to me and slyly asked, like, what's next? And two days before, I had been sitting on a train, uh, a subway, going to, like, a friend's holiday party or something like that, as we did in, you know, 2015, 2014. Mm -hmm. And I had, had that initial idea of just, wouldn't it have been absolutely terrible to be another student at that magic school. Uh, and then it was a quick, but, oh, it's like, well, if we're going to focus on the other kids getting an education, we, it might as well be about the puffs. Uh, so I told him that idea. And then we, because we had a relationship with the pit, we sort of pitched it to them. And that's how we got that initial five week run. But yeah, the show was really just night and day from what you saw. There was the uh, plot differences were abounded. Like Xavier was actually evil and was kind of just dispensed off stage. It was incredibly different. <laughs> <laughs> I could sit here and list. I think I've pushed some of the old versions of the show show out of my mind like the bones of what it eventually became were there um and even after the pit 
a lot of the, even the show at New World Stages is the architecture is sort of root, like the reason we have the doors the way they are is because those are the pits doors uh, that Maddie Bundy sort of kept that going. Also because, you know, doors are very funny. You need doors. We didn't even go from the pit to New World Stages. We also did a version of the show at a theater called the Electra Theater Off-Broadway, which I don't think exists anymore. Uh, it was a part of Time Scare, if you remember that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and that was another version, though, where we kind of just, they had an architecture in place that involved those like sliding doors. So that's when those became integrated in the show, just because they were there and they had to be. So the show evolved a lot. <laughs> that's, the, that's the short answer of, of the long answer I just gave you. No, that's great. I <laughs> love that you wrote it on the subway because recently I was watching the Netflix song Exploder and Lin-Manuel Miranda explained that he wrote Wait For It. He came up with the idea on the subway as well. So clearly just New York subways is just where playwrights get all of their best ideas. <laughs> You're just sitting there. You got nothing else to do other than listen to something or think of something or look at people doing weird things. So Yeah, no, I, I can understand that from a creative perspective as well as a people doing weird things on the subway because I used to edit my podcast religiously on the subway, just getting to and from, and I would be the frantic person of not using like a wireless headphone because there was a little bit of a delay. So I'd have these big clunky headphones that I'm wearing right now. And then as I'm one stop away, furiously <laughs> undoing them and putting them in the case and trying to shove them in my bag. It is a, it is a marvel that I never missed a stop or have had my backpack stolen from me on the subway. <laughs> so when you started out, you're at the pit, it grows to be an eight-month situation. At what point does it go from being, oh, it's this cute little thing that we've done at the pit, to, oh, now we're on Off-Broadway and theaters are giving us contracts to put on the show for <laughs> extended upon times? Yeah. Was the biggest jump in content from pit to Off-Broadway, or did that already happen? Uh, no, so uh, those first few performances, I think that even our very first performance was sold out, which was unexpected. The thing that kind of happened is that the internet got a hold of the idea, which was mm. kind of the hope always, of like, oh, the, a show about the puffs. I always use our own vernacular because I just trained myself to not say the real words. Honestly, very, very smart decision. <laughs> and I will get to questions about that as well because I'm very interested <laughs> in all of the skirting. Great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll look at you. Uh, all the secrets. Yeah. So by our second or third show, there was an article in like a French newspaper where we learned the word for Hufflepuffs was puff souffle. No uh, way. <laughs> <laughs> which was a delight to just see that all over the thing. Even within those very first few shows where we had a lot of people coming, which was a shock and a surprise and a wonderful shock and surprise. We had already sort of had a contact with a producing company called Tilted Windmills. We took a little break to kind of reconfigure the show after the first few performances and they came to the one right after that, which was fun fact, the show that the New York Times came and reviewed nice. and is actually the worst performance that the show ever had. Of course! <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my computer because I also, I did the sound design sort of by necessity just because we all sort of dipped our hands and toes in other, like Maddie Bundy did the set and the costumes and stuff, and she plays Susie Bones. Uh, and I did sound design, wrote it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my computer had crashed and completely erased everything mm. the week before that. And so New York Times saw a version of the show that was hobbled together and where I had forgot that Jay Finch died and he didn't have a death sound. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fun times. Uh, but so they had seen before that and they had already kind of uh, optioned the show. And so within that first like month or so, the off-Broadway dreams had sort of already been set in motion. And so from then on, we kind of ended up treating the pit run in a very different way than you normally would a show, which is, you know, you, you have a preview period and you hit an opening date and then you never futz with it or change it again. Uh, the pit run just kind of became a constantly evolving version of the show where we just kept experimenting with what is the best version of this story. 
And I happened, because I, I ran the sound as well during the initial period of time, I sat on a little ledge up there at the pit um, and was able to just kind of gauge jokes and like, oh, well, that didn't work. Or, oh, wouldn't it be fun to try out this second step of that same bit or this third beat of that? Um, and so I would kind of go backstage and not go backstage, but like the night before the next show, mm-hmm. type something out, send to the actors, be like, oh, let's try this that night. Because the show, especially at the pit, was very much more of a sketch sketchy comedy show and throughout that run then we kept trying to figure out what is the version of this that feels more like a play yeah that's more of a complete story for the stage which was kind of nice we also did a workshop version of at the university of florida oh go gator uh, to kind of test some of those ideas that's great yeah it feels almost like when a stand-up comedian is refining their act before the big recorded hbo netflix special so that's cool that you got that opportunity to do it at the pit yeah there was and there's so many terrible jokes that happened at the pit that <laughs> should never be seen again there's one we did a couple we had puffs nights shows Ooh. there as well because we had a couple of like 11 o'clock slots i want to say or like 10 o'clock at night and one of those shows i think it was one of our smaller crowds i tried the the losing point sound which is currently you know this like inception-y Wah. bit uh i instead replaced it with the willy wonka <laughs> you lose uh and it was not a peep from the audience. <laughs> I would have I would have laughed very hard at that. No joke, in the recording of the first episode, the one that just went live today, mm-hmm. there were discussions about Willy Wonka and Augustus Gloop and that particular <laughs> you lose conversation. So clearly we're on the same wavelength of thinking that is very funny in any circumstance. Perfect. Maybe I should have kept it. Uh, but the, I, don't, I think that some of the cast hadn't heard it either. Ah. And so it was just like a shock, a bit of a shock on stage. People's reaction. And I I was the butt of the joke that evening. (laughs) Now, you had just mentioned that the sound design is something that you had a hand in. And my guest on the episodes that we launched so far about Puffs was Katie. And she had a copy of the script. And it mentioned in the intro that there's a lot of sound design stuff. And you wrote it from a sound designer's perspective. So for me, and hopefully more than one other person listening to the podcast, for someone that doesn't know what that means, writing it from a sound designer perspective, how does that make writing a play different than just, I don't know, from a writer's perspective? This uh, is how knowledgeable well, I, I am. I, I, don't, I actually don't think I did write it from a sound designer's perspective. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I get it. I mean, I, I uh, it's more, I kind of just do the sound design out of necessity not quite but it is just we like to keep it close within our group of people because I, I more write from like an actor's improviser's perspective and so the one way I tend to use my sound designs because I mostly only sound design things that I write as sort of a way of adding like a an extra character who has a hand in the timing and bits within that uh, and so it's it's I more come at it from a perspective just how to use this other sense sort of as an integral part of the show that, you know, helps with the pacing and the ups and downs of the energy and whatnot. Yeah, it's like when people say their favorite character in Sex in the City is New York. Exactly. Uh, my favorite, yeah, my favorite character in Puffs is the sound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'd love to meet that person because what an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it does help with a show that is so quick and has so much going on. The sound does do a lot to make sure that you are knowing what's happening, making scene changes more clear. I can understand it for a play that is run at such a high speed, having something to ground it a bit makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, we hinted at it before, but I just, I would love to have as much of a conversation about this as we legally can. Great. But something about Puffs, obviously, is you have to skirt lots of different 
legal ramifications from the uh, the WB on high. Mm-hmm. I've had to do this throughout my Harry Potter podcasting career. So from writing the show originally to once it gets to off-Broadway, were there big legal things? That, like, how did all of that come along the way? Were there <laughs> nasty grams sent directly to your house? No, well... <laughs> Uh, it, so that was an interesting part of the journey. Like our very first reading that we did um, at the pit in like June of 2015, I sort of just rushed a version of the script out. And it was only through the beginning of year four. And fun fact, it was the same length as the full version of the play eventually became. <laughs> it was like a 90 minute show. Uh, that version of the play used all the words and would have gotten us certainly in trouble if more than, you know, the 30 or 40 people had seen it. And it was after that that it was kind of like, a, oh, yeah. We can't do that. Um, and so we luckily had, we kind of just looked at everything that it came before us, especially within this fandom that is fan-created materials that are out there to be experienced, like very Potter musical and other fan videos that are out there, like the Snape series and the James Potter series, uh, just to see what, what they were able to do. We also ended up, I think we were in contact with someone who had worked with Star Kid that sort of had the list of things that they had gotten a bit in trouble for, which was specifically like proper nouns. Basically, the, the rule, the name of the game was avoid proper nouns at all costs, uh, <laughs> which sort of just became the fun bit of the show of like, oh, well, what what do we call that? And do we try to go a smart route or do we just go the dumbest route possible? Death uh, buddies, if you will. <laughs> like the house names. My favorite bit of that was the the initial version of it was that they were the names of the teams from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, nice. Okay. That's a cut I love. Because it was like, oh, there's four. It's like, what a fun thing. And that's the only thing that stayed with that because I was like, oh, no one, not enough people will make this connection. But that's where snakes came from. Basically, it was like, oh, well, that that still works. Let's let's take out the silver. (laughs) Just call them snakes. We mostly stayed clear of it. It was only whenever we... We're further into it, and we were moved to New World stages that we started having some contact. And as the show expanded uh, worldwide, because we took it to Australia, mm-hmm. since then we've created, uh, like, if you license the show, you get a very long, lengthy list of do's and do nots. <laughs> this is how we talk about the show. This is the words that we actively choose not to use just so that we stay firmly in our own place. And that's kind of what we've always thought of it as, is Puff's takes place in a world that seems you know familiar maybe but it's 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 its own thing enough <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it seems like it was always amicable with warner brothers jk whoever there was no sort of animosity there was no subtweet from jk <laughs> like nothing negative yeah no yeah, we, we've never we've never had any sort of public bouts so that's i think the best we can hope for <laughs> that's incredible it's incredible Which is nice so thanks thanks warner brothers <laughs> i did have here in my notes and you mentioned it so this is perfect i just had australia question mark in all caps how does i i could understand going from the pit to off broadway but how does one go from off broadway to oh i know australia yeah it feels like a big jump i cannot state it enough that the journey that the show has taken still doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but yeah, we were supposed to do five shows at a little comedy theater. We hoped that maybe friends, maybe the elusive non-friend would come Ooh, and see it. Huge. Uh, maybe we'd get to extend. And then, you know, in 2018, I think it was, there we were in Melbourne, Australia. That even just came about. So I think that someone from the production company that we worked with there had just seen the show off-Broadway. We were like, oh, I want to do that. as a company called Lifelike Touring. It didn't feel real until we were there for the auditions, and I flew and had uh, my first horrible case of uh, 
uh, oh, what, what's it called? Jet lag? Jet lag, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mid auditions where I hadn't slept. It's just like, oh, it's very funny just hear these lines with Australian accents. <laughs> and that version of the show is was different. We, you know, we used that as an opportunity to create some more of the rules that became a part of the show whenever it became licensable of, you know, Oliver... Rivers, the character, is from wherever the show is being performed. That is an option, at least if you want to use it. Uh, And he's specifically from whatever city is nearby is considered the worst. (laughs) Yeah, as someone born and raised in New Jersey, I was (laughs) slightly offended. But now that I live in New York, we clarified the difference between capital and capital J New Jersey, the concept, and lowercase and lowercase J New Jersey, which is, oh, I don't want to go all the way to Hoboken to go to my friend's party. <laughs> no. Like for in, in Melbourne, he was, uh, Oliver was from a place called Craigieburn. It sounds bad. It sounds very bad. <laughs> I, and I get the joke. I did a lot of improv in Seattle. I lived there for two years and that go-to joke was always Tacoma. It was always very easy to make fun of Tacoma. It was 20, 25 minutes south. It smells bad because there's a giant refinery in Tacoma. So no disrespect to anyone from there. It's just a very quick way to make a good uh, local joke. Exactly. Everyone, no matter where you are, everyone is united in a dislike of some place. Right. Texas towns, <laughs> major Texas cities love making fun of the other cities. Oh, if you go to any concert in any major city in Texas, the band will almost every single time be like, if they're in Houston, for example, they'll say, we were just in Dallas last night, roarous booze. And then they'll and if say you're in something. Dallas, it's the <laughs> yeah. same with Houston. We were in Houston. <laughs> we're going to Houston tomorrow. Roarous booze. It's like, <laughs> you guys got to be louder than them. Yeah! Like, every time without fail. So I, I could get it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Even though my home state was the butt of the original joke. <laughs> The Australian version was its own little beast, and it was very fun. And that's even why the two-act version of the show exists, is because they they wanted us to add in intermissions for for concessions purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, oh, I guess we could throw in an intermission. They also call field trips excursions. That's way more fun. So at that one moment, instead of yelling field trip, everyone just yelled excursion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a delight. It was a weird little delight. That's beautiful. That is beautiful, Pass Mike. Hey, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going, everyone? Now, I would like to take you, Pass Mike, on an excursion of my own, and that's to a little segment that we like to call Wingardium Adriadosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Calm. Let's say hypothetically that you are Matt Cox, the writer of Puffs, and you get information that your play is going to be performed in Australia of all places, and you're very excited, but it's late at night, and now you got to go to sleep, but you're just so excited. How can you wind down at the end of the night and be calm enough to go to sleep? You could use the app Calm. Calm is an app designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. When you relieve anxiety, you can improve your sleep, and when you improve your sleep, you'll feel better in every part of your life. As someone that has been going through some interesting sleeping situations of late, I can say that the nights where I sleep better make for more productive days, and that is much needed right now. And Calm has a whole library of programs designed for healthy sleep, depending on what you're looking for. They have soundscapes where they just play nice, soothing, background-y type noises, such as falling rain and nature. They have guided meditations, so if you want someone helping you out saying, take a deep breath, think about this, unleash any stress inside of you, things like that. I've done them before. They're quite soothing. Or they have sleep stories. They have over 100 sleep stories narrated by people with 
soothing voices such as Kelly Rowland and Stephen Fry, you know, from the Harry Potter audiobooks. So get the Calm app and experience a transformation in the way you sleep. For listeners of Potterless, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Potterless. That is 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. So get started today at calm.com slash Potterless. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Potterless and get some sleep even though you've gotten some very happy and exciting news that would make you want to stay up all night today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is slash Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or we open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Now, with all the different versions and the licensing, now you could have high schools put on the show and middle schools and all this other stuff. What is it like to see something of your creation just start from something you are making in the basement of a theater in New York City now to where little youngins can put it on? I think that's so fun. <laughs> we were just a group of friends who made this show together. Uh, we're all people who liked each other. I just brought in 
people that I liked and that I had worked with on other things. And we would even make jokes while we were rehearsing it, uh, especially when we were moving in the off-Broadway version. We started making jokes about like, oh, what's the high school version of this show? What's the version of this show that has 40 kids in it, where every track is a- its own separate thing? Not expecting that to be real. And now, you know, we've gotten sent pictures of the 30 cast version. There's one out there where a kid played the snitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a tiny child in a gold outfit on rollerblades. Incredible. I went home and I actually saw my high school's production of Puffs. Whoa. On the stage that I first started doing theater on. Oh. My senior year of high school, uh, I got to see them do Puffs. That is the, like the theater equivalent of getting your number retired <laughs> at the gymnasium for being a basketball player, football yes. player, or whatever. I, they got to like hang your hoodie in the theater rafters or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my show shirt for our production of Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> um, we stay pretty like open uh, on various social media and for messages. And I like on my website, I even have like a contact me thing. So I get inquiries from high schools and whatnot about changing bits of language and stuff. And I'm we're always pretty open to that. And the cast get questions from people who've been cast in it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's great. It's again, it's not it's you don't expect it, mm-hmm. especially in like the off Broadway world. Right. Because uh, we were all very firmly in like off off Broadway, we we did shows downtown quite a bit. That's how all of us met, or doing improv. Uh, and so, especially when you're in the smaller couple hundred seat theaters, you don't expect to become a thing that stretches across the country. But it did, and then did. to other countries. <laughs> From that initial idea, it always did feel like something that was tapping into an idea that people would at least be interested in. And I'm I'm glad that has proven to be true. <laughs> it's incredible. Did anyone ever come to Puffs thinking they were coming to Cursed Child and not realize? <laughs> we hope not. I, we are <laughs> sure it happened, and they must have been. So confused. It's like, huh, I thought I heard this show, like they redesigned this theater for multi-millions of dollars, but here I am walking downstairs into this <laughs> tiny thing. And Past the bubble show? <laughs> all those things seem to be made, some of that stuff seems to be made out of trash. <laughs> How interesting. Fun fact, some of it, Madeline Buddy did make it out of trash. It's great, it's great. I saw it at the New World stages. I live pretty close to there, so I passed it a whole bunch and then finally got to see it. It was my first show that I had seen at those stages, I did not expect how far underground I had to go to get to the theater. There were multiple escalators. Yeah, there's... It's it's a big place. It's huge. <laughs> and I, I lived, like, very, very close to that theater. And I was just like, where... Where is this? Like, I've walked around this area so much. How does this exist? <laughs> like, there's a subway station right here. It really, yeah, it's like a bizarre courtyard. There is so much going on, but it's great. So enough about the production of the play. I'd love to talk about specifically writing it, the content in it as well. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most genius things that Puffs does is that it has this wonderful balancing act of making fun of Harry Potter, but not... So much so where it's just a straight-up parody or just a dunk fest. It is something that took me a very long time to figure out how to do successfully on this comedic Harry Potter podcast. So (laughs) I appreciate that you guys absolutely nailed it. So what was the key for you to all find out where to draw the line between just making fun of something versus doing it jokingly? Because the way that I view it when watching Puffs is that... It's like when you make fun of a sibling or a really close friend where, oh, I make fun of you, but I only do this because we're close and it's okay because you laugh. I'm not actually saying something mean. How did you strike that chord when writing the script? Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I write, the few shows that I've done, it's tr- try to walk that fine line between being like earnest and heartfelt and just silly and dumb. And the earnest, heartfelt aspect, though, is like a key 
part of it because I think it makes an experience of watching something worthwhile because you need to actually care about it. Um, and so when dealing with something that has such a expansive fan base and fandom as the Potter series does, um, it was just very important that we approached it from a level of there's plenty to poke fun of, but nothing that would be mean really ever. Right. Just because when you're, especially when dealing with something where people's like identities are so rooted in, uh, we always wanted to treat that with like utmost care that we were handling something that people cared about with the same care that they care about it, the level of care that they care about it with. And so, yeah, we just made sure we we wanted to never ruin how someone felt about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. We also were very particular about making sure that we stayed within the, the realm of the rules of the world to whatever extent, even though we were, you know, off in our own puffs land. Uh, we tried to make sure we never broke like canon or anything like that. So we treated that with treating the story with the same level of respect that, you know, fans do mm-hmm. was kind of the key with that. But, you know, there's also plenty of room to make fun of things because as you grow older, you start to see the little holes more more clearly. And my favorite description of what the show, how the show handles that, that I've ever been told is, uh, is by John Rosenthal, who runs uh, the group that shall not be named, which is a big meetup group in New York. Uh, he he explained it as a lot of the bits in the show are the things that whenever, now that we're, we're grown up and we're sitting around at a table at a bar, it's the things that we go, yeah. That kind of doesn't make sense, does it? (laughs) Or that's kind of silly. That Puffs is that same sort of energy. It's a gentle ribbing uh, more than like a a serious takedown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm now starting to realize why I fell in love with Puffs so immediately and was such a big fan of it is because everything that you're describing about Puffs is exactly what I tried to do with this podcast where I didn't read them as a kid (laughs) and now it's as an adult and the things that I make fun of are the same things you did. I, I will say that some of the things you made fun of that I think hit the most are the things that anger Harry Potter fans. So it's not just like, oh, let's make fun of this thing. We get that this doesn't make sense. But the next level of the little things that irk Harry Potter fans so that they can all scream yes in unison. So pointing out the Dumbledore casting change, the he said calmly thing, the things like that where it's not only just, yeah, that doesn't make sense. It's, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And the movie's ruined it. And I'm still angry about it. Like you were able to give fans that relief. And I'm sure many people appreciated that as well. (laughs) And I, I very much came with it too from the perspective of like the books keeping them as like sacred as possible within the unless there's something that's very specific like the uh i, I don't pick favorites but harry he's my favorite and bits like yeah. that just like, you know, like yeah that kind of sucked <laughs> mr headmaster but the movies were a little bit more of like a free reign of like well we could make fun of the movies a little bit more even just that was even kind of coming from a personal place because i you know grew up reading i was the same age as harry as the books were coming out and i became obsessed with them around like the second or third one but the movies i always kind of saw as the thing i was like oh Oh, yeah, I'll go see that, but you mm. know, they're fine. <laughs> There's one particular joke about the books that I found to be the funniest. It's it's such a little thing, but I still think it's my favorite thing in the whole play. Is you've got the narrator doing every time he does the book, he holds up the book and it's got the big <laughs> number on it. And when you get to book five, is it a dictionary? Because it feels like it's a dictionary painted yellow. Yes. <laughs> okay, I believe it is a dictionary. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got the full, it's just the oh my god, like that. <laughs> I just, it tickled me so much, and it just seems like, and I don't know if this is a, a personal thing, do you dislike book five? Because it felt like book five was the most dunked on of the books in the series in Puffs. <laughs> a little, I guess, I know, I like, especially when I did the big reread of the, to write the show, I read through everything, I went, I was surprised with how much I liked it, because I guess growing up, and like with the sort of like pop culture's thoughts of it, I do feel like book five was always kind of a dark horse, just because of like the 
not even that it's it's it's, it's so angsty and so angst ridden that it's the one that's hardest to revisit, especially maybe because of how real it feels at times. <laughs> uh, but now looking at it, it's like oh, it's one of the best ones by far. But honestly, the real reason of that is just because we spend so much time in year four, which always was my favorite. That it felt like. In order to communicate to the audience that don't worry, you're not going to be here all night. We have to, (laughs) like, we just spent 30 minutes on this one year. Let's get through this one as fast as possible. And also just given it's like the longest one, it was like, oh, let's just make it the shortest. Yeah. It's also the book that deals so much with Harry's inner turmoil as well, that there's the least amount really to do with the puffs and the least things that we can sort of take away uh, to put into Wayne's story. Also to get to, you know, the meat of more of that. So yeah, I I have no strong feelings on it. (laughs) (laughs) As far as casting in the play, you mentioned that you had written the play, you brought in people that you have done things in the past with. Was there any audition process? Were all of the roles already set where you wrote it for particular people? How did that all work? Uh, Yeah, there was no audition for the initial run of the show. And the cast that was in it was the same cast as the first reading of the show, except for Nick Carrillo, who we brought in for the second reading just because I realized I needed one other person to play Jay Finch, actually. Uh, and then that part grew and grew. Um, so the show was very much written for that specific bunch of people. And just, uh, I, as I kind of mentioned, I come at writing from an actor's perspective and like what I think is fun in a room. And so the rehearsal process was really just, I, I assembled a group of people who I know their sense of humor is a little bit from other projects in the past people who I know a a rehearsal room would be fun in. And so I'd just kind of sit there, we'd work through a scene, I'd throw out some ideas, they'd kind of throw in their own ideas of what they think is fun. Sometimes I'd go home and expand on those a little bit more. And then it was really just like, oh, what what do you, Nick or Andy, uh, what do you think is funny? Uh, And then how do we maximize that so you're having as much fun on stage so that way the audience will also have an equal amount of fun on stage. Um, eventually, we did have auditions. Um, Cedric was originally played by a friend called Evan Maltby, who was uh, not able to continue with the show when we moved off Broadway. So th- then we had auditions, but we ended up just casting a friend, <laughs> the one friend that we had brought in that a bunch of us knew from our off-off-Broadway days. James Foey came in then. And it was as soon as he walked in, it was, it was very funny. James, I had not seen for like two years or so. Um, and we just both happened to be invited to do this reading in the basement of the, the downstairs of the pit. Um, I do not remember what it was called, but it was this very long play. And James was there the week before we did the puss auditions for Cedric. And it was just kind of this moment of like, oh, yeah, I love James. James is so nice. <laughs> James would be a good Cedric. <laughs> uh, and so then James got that part because we just both happened to be at this audition. Eventually, we had auditions to for replacements and for swings and stuff. But that core group of people were just people that I knew that I knew I wanted to make things with. That's great. And I actually have a interview scheduled with a lot of them in about 20 minutes. But something that I did note for the group that I'm talking with later today, it's specifically the people that I think were cast in very different roles. So like (laughs) James plays Cedric and then also Voldemort. (laughs) And, you know, Madeline is Susie Bones, but then also Harry Potter. Was it an intentional thing where you tried to specifically get people to play wildly different roles or did it just kind of shake out that way? Uh, Yeah, so... Like Cedric and Mr. Valdi, as we call him, Mm -hmm. that even just came about because it was like, oh, I don't want this actor to only be in half the show. I got to figure out because we made a very conscious decision of like, oh, Cedric shouldn't be double cast. It's like other bit parts because he should feel special. Um, He needs to feel like the special character that he is to the characters. And then it was just kind of like a lightning flash moment of, oh, well, he should play. (laughs) 
It's so Faldy, great. then. And then I was like, oh, perfect, beautiful. <laughs> uh, and then the audience reaction to that every night when they realized, because <laughs> people didn't always quite recognize who he was at first. Uh, and it, it was, oh, it was great. It was beautiful. And then Ma- uh, Madeline as playing Harry and Susie Bones, that one actually is weirdly like a, more of an in, not quite an in joke, but uh, the Kapowi Gogo show that I mentioned, uh, Madeline plays. Kapawi Gogo, the titular character of it. Um, and so a part of me just thought it would be funny to take that same energy and put it into Harry uh, <laughs> and, and use that. I was like, oh, you're also going to be the the quote unquote main character who's not the main character of this. Um, sometimes it's just like, oh, I think you'll be funny. <laughs> yeah, it works. And you mentioned multiple times coming from an actor's perspective, an improv perspective. There is a part in the show explicitly where Jay Finch always does an improvised bit and it is not scripted at all. Is that something that you had always wanted to put into play? Is it just because of your improv roots? Like, what led to that? I think it's great that it's written into the play of, like, there's no script here. Figure it out. I find that very fun. Yeah, so it, a bunch of us met doing these this thing called Serials, which was, like, 10-minute plays at this off-off-Broadway theater um, that you would only rehearse for like two or three days. And a lot of times, like, the writer would be present. And so my group and I always like to play around and, like, add whatever we thought was funny. Um, and so I have I always like to include that as an option, especially even if I'm, like, in Kipawi I keep mentioning this, uh, come check it out in whatever <laughs> theaters are open again. Uh, <laughs> in 2028, when we got this pandemic <laughs> under control. Uh, I always like to just go off script even in my own things just because like oh if i'm hit with something that i think is going to be funny in the moment why not try it don't do that you know if you're in a play that <laughs> someone else has written never do that uh, and don't do it in puffs unless it's a place that says to do it please. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so specifically nick is such a wonderful improviser we met him through the pit through him he was an improv opening act for us uh while we were doing that other show at the pit and so it started as this was what part of like the writing constantly changing when we were rehearsing for the pit version. In a previous version, whenever Wayne gets upset after Cedric's death, there was a much longer period of time where he was mad at Megan and Oliver, uh, where they weren't speaking, and it kind of stretched into year six. And so year five, there was a tiny moment where, or no, it's at the top of year six, uh, Wayne came on with his new friend named Zach Smith, who just kind of came on and was an asshole for a second, and then walked off stage. Uh, and it was like, oh, this is, this is very funny. It made everyone laugh just because Nick was very funny as the Zach Smith character. But we realized, oh, it's not worth keeping this feud going on beyond year five just because eh, we got to move along. We got to get out of here. But I decided to add in the sports tryout scene just because we hadn't touched on sports uh, in a while. And that in, in the sixth book, you know, it kind of comes back in the same way. So, like, let's throw some of that in. And it was just like, Nick be Zach Smith again in this. And I don't think I had gotten to writing anything yet. So it started as like, okay, Nick, you can say like one, throw out one joke, like a one sentence thing of whatever you want to say. And it you, it started as just like Potter puns or like puns on like the books, something about like horn tails and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then slowly that one sentence became two sentence. That's two sentences became three sentences. Then it became a paragraph. Then it became a story. Then it became recaps of movies that he yep. saw. And it kind of grew into its own beast that just became this beautiful part of the show and I always loved it and it became something that we encouraged especially and and added a little bit more throughout where there's the option lines where you can say this or that in the script because people were coming back and seeing the show again and again and again in the way that we we dreamed people would because when you when you're a fan of something you you watch it over and over again we didn't think people would do that for a play but then they did uh and we wanted to reward that so that every time you you got something different to look forward to uh and Zach Smith became that. That's great. Yeah. So the option lines, I thought that was incredibly interesting. It's something I had never seen before in any 
acting that I had done. I had never seen something where it's like, here are 12 choices, <laughs> pick whatever you want or something similar. And then it, people understand that this might be different every single time. So are those very common throughout the play? Is there a percentage breakdown of how many lines are strict scripted versus <laughs> like a pool of things? Now, it's only in a few moments. In year four, when Harry and Wayne get left on stage there for a second and Harry hugs Wayne, mm. that's one. There's like six options there. Uh, and then Valdi's like megaphone speech oh, at the end great. when he comes in. That's that's one that has like so many. <laughs> that one was even one where James kind of just looked at me once. It was like, you could add more. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then that's when the second set of them are the weirder ones. And that's when they started getting really good. Um, that's not actually in the film version, I'm realizing. So, oh yeah, fun. Here's fun fact. So in the live version of the play and in the scripted version of the play, he comes on with the megaphone in placement of the Harry, Harry, Harry. Uh, in the film version, that stops pretty soon into it, like two. Uh, we cut that because there was a specific reference to the Cursed Child plot of, uh, you know, spoilers, oh. uh, of Voldemort's lineage. That was an instance where we were requested to remove something from the show oh, because sense. it was a, a, a non- kept secret, so to speak. So it was just something like, oh, who wants to see a photograph of my my newborn daughter is what the line was. That was right before we filmed it, so we just cut it and we just moved through it. After that, though, we just replaced it with these long, consecutively longer monologues in which he either talks about uh, the new thing he's found called Pilates. Mm -hmm. The best one is he, he's going to ask an uncomfortable question. Where are my shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I've, been I've been back for three years and no one... <laughs> Has, uh, no one has offered me a pair of shoes, <laughs> not even a pair of loafers or anything. And now I'm we're outside. We're in a forest. It's cold. There's rocks. <laughs> it's a great discussion. It's a discussion I've had multiple times before. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's also another one where he he recaps the plot of Free Willy 3. Ooh, nice. That, that one only got seen like twice. Uh, I don't even think that one's in the script because it was a last minute added one. Mm, but then the Free Willy people asked you to not spoil. You got to keep the secrets of the trilogy. Exactly. Yeah. So so then we were just like, great, let's just make this the longest <laughs> bit in the world then. Yeah, so there's, it's not a common thing. And then there are the only other places in the potions class. There's a bunch of options. Lotion, ocean, right. And to make this answer even longer, every time we moved theaters, we sort of refreshed the play and changed some things that if I had had an idea because I watched it, you know, an infinite amount of times, they're like, oh, let's just change this bit to something that maybe could be funnier. I was working on a like choose your own style play called The Magnificent Revengers, mm -hmm. which was a Western uh, where the audience sort of voted and like a Bioware game or like a right, right. Telltale game. And so some of that just came from that because I was working on a play with multiple options anyway. So well, let's just take that into that, yeah. which we're currently doing a show like that right now online as well. Ooh, cool. Yeah, well, that's so much fun. That is great. And I am so thankful for you taking the time and teaching me and all the listeners about some behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. This was really interesting. If, if there's anything aside from watching Puffs you'd like to promote, oh. go for it now. <laughs> what excellent timing. Uh, yeah, so actually at the moment, uh, if you're listening to this, you know, around the time that this comes out, uh, we're running a show on our YouTube channel, the Ultra Corporation, which is sort of the the group name that we've uh, started putting stuff out with. Uh, we have a show called Guy Choiceman Decides to Save America, The Choosical, oh, where nice. you do the chooses. <laughs> it features the entire off-Broadway cast of Puffs. All those familiar faces are in it, and it's a show uh, that's streaming live, mostly on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, uh, around 7 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, occasionally there's some matinees, but it's a, it's a show where you do the chooses. So <laughs> uh, throughout the show, you get prompted to... Uh, 
take the show off in different directions and whatever thing gets the most votes, that's the direction the story takes. Uh, and your goal is to save America, but you can also instead just go back to bed, <laughs> go work your job at many places uh, of opportunity. Uh, yeah, that show is currently running right now. You can get tickets at mattcoxland.com, M-A-T-T-C-O-X-L-A-N-D. Dot com, uh, or you can follow us on various social medias. Uh, Ultra Corporation or Puffs also posts about it quite a bit. It's a fun time. Check it out. It's only five dollars. Oh, also just to throw out there too, if you are uh, if you've enjoyed this, there are uh, three more Puffs plays. <laughs> Mm. Uh, they're not official things uh, or anything like that. They're very much parodies of uh, other properties, but you can find, we did charity readings at the start of the pandemic of these. Oh, cool. uh, you can see 19 Years After, which is a sort of a parody of the other play that happened to exist off Broadway. <laughs> there's Dude, Where's My Fantastic Friends? <laughs> and there's uh, Puffs 3, Eventfulness Maximus, which is less of, is more of a parody of uh, ballooning franchises. Amazing, uh, <laughs> amazing. Throughout those, you really track Little Wayne journey to becoming the narrator you see in the show it becomes outrageous and so up its own butt but please they're they're a good time (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like a great time Uh, you can find those on our ultra corporation channel as well that's wonderful that's so great well i'm excited for all of the things you guys are making i'm excited for when theater is back and you can continue to have your shows in person too but i'm glad you're doing stuff online in the meantime so matt thank you for joining listeners thanks for listening and as they say in the wizarding world of harry potter and as we close out every episode of this podcast before they say hello to all all of their puffs friends wizard on Ooh, yay hey it's 2021 now we're here it's the new year maybe you're thinking new year new me new podcast created by the new me if you want to make a new show or you want to refresh the show that you've already created multitude has a whole bunch of resources available for free for people making podcasts so if you go to multitude.production resources you can see everything that we've put together and it costs zero dollars you'll love to see it potter list was created by mike schubert it is hosted by mike schubert it is edited by mike schubert it is produced by mike schubert as well as vicky garcia christine aaron johnson klauser lopu marchismo juanson Philly, Rosemary, Dosh Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra Elnor, Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consulver, John Cocker, Noel Basilay, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amida Alfor, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morris, and Maya, Flor Sake, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Jarls, Five and Pete McGrath, Jen and Rose Daub, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, Madison, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Sabrina Bossiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiddas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Leor Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle. Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzian, Henrika Wolf, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Casey Canales, Magan Stempen, Zot, Jack Gitzes, Sophia Leone, Dane Nemcher, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan Shunpei, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Somers, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Laurel, Mazatov, Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Camp, 
Lee, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe McHufflepuff, Punkfish, Rochelle Mobs, Wire Warrior, Catherine Karolchak, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamadas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com for bonus content. You can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless, and for merchandise, including the replay of the digital live show that we did this December, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, you think of someone that might like it, why don't you reach out, shoot them a message, say, hey, here's this podcast. I think you'll like it. Send them a link, or you can leave a rating or review online. Those help a bunch. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.